everyone, this is George Kroos. I'm really excited to have uh, Season 2, Episode 2 with Sarah Thomas. Uh, we talk about her work with Edumatch. She makes an awesome uh, comparison to some of the work she does and uh, the movie Fight Club. And then we talk about Part 1 of the book. So I look forward to you being here. Thanks for joining. Hey everyone, uh, this is George Kuros. We are coming to you live from all over the world because that's how we do this. And it is season two of iMOOC, episode two. I am super pumped to have Sarah Thomas here with us today. Uh, I actually, it's interesting because I actually um, never first found out about Sarah Thomas. Uh, on Twitter, I just had a zillion people tell me how awesome she is, and then I found her, uh, and I still hear about her all the time. So um, I'm actually, we're going to have a conversation about her and some of the work that she's doing, and then we're going to uh, talk about part one of the book, and we're pretty excited. We already have, I think, uh, 70 viewers uh, popped in already, so um, I'll be looking at the iMOOC uh, Twitter stream. And we're going to take some of your questions as we go through the process. So please share the stuff that you're learning along. Uh, make sure you connect with Sarah and Katie. Uh, and I'll turn it over to my co-host, Katie Martin. And so she'll introduce herself. And then we're going to turn over conversation uh, for with Sarah. So Katie, please take over. Good evening, everybody. I'm Katie Martin. I'm the Director of Professional Learning at the University of San Diego's Mobile Technology Learning Center. Excited to be here again tonight, looking forward to a great conversation. And we have Sarah with us tonight, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her work and what she's doing and dig into the book with us. So Sarah, tell us what you're up to. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you, Katie. And thank you, George. Very, very happy to be here today with the I Am MOOC community. So um, my name is Sarah Thomas, and I am a regional technology coordinator in Maryland. Uh, I've been an educator for about 12 years. I'm also the founder of EduMatch, which is a global network of educators uh, connecting, learning, sharing together over all forms of social media, building that strong relationship so that we can have those conversations that we truly, truly learn from. Um, and in addition, I am a doctoral candidate, hopefully for not much longer, uh, studying international education. So very happy to be here. I actually feel, I was telling Sarah before we got on, I was feeling horrible because she has pinned to the top of her Twitter that she's working on her dissertation. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm so like taking away time from her right now. So oh, no, uh, no. Really, really appreciate you actually uh, spending that time with us. Sarah, can I ask you first, uh, we want to get into the EduMatch stuff. And um, she actually, um, in the YouTube description, uh, you'll see a link to uh, the EduMatch website and actually... Um, the book that she did with a, a group of people. Uh, but before Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your, your work in education right now? Like um, some of the things that you're doing, some of the things that you're seeing and, and kind of what your role is and maybe even how uh, you see innovation in your role. Absolutely. Um, well, right now I am working as a regional tech coordinator. So pretty much what that means is that I am, uh, I'm working with the district, but there's about 11 or 12 schools that I work directly with. And um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's great to see like all of the wonderful things that are going on in the district in terms of innovation and in terms of people thinking outside the box. And in addition, I really feel blessed to, um, to be connected to the EduMatch family because just hearing about different things that educators are doing when we share our stories, then we all learn from one another. Um, so I feel like I'm a fly on the wall a lot of times when we have these conversations on Boxer, on Twitter, on, um, on YouTube Live, and just learning and soaking up the great knowledge um, that 
that educators are sharing um, between one another so that we are all growing stronger together as an educational community. But you, you actually started EduMatch, correct? Yes, yes, I did. And, and so tell us, like, tell us, like, why, why did you start it, and and what's been its impact on on you first, and then on on other people that have been a part of that? Absolutely. Well, EduMatch started uh, back in September 2014. I was um, I was on my couch on a Friday night, procrastinating, had a bunch of stuff to do, but I was on Voxer speaking with one of my good friends, Rafons Davis, and. She made a comment um, about gamification in math, and I had been speaking with my cousin, who was a former New York City math teacher, um, and he was telling me about this whole gamification process that he did um, probably a month earlier. So I said, "Hey, you know, Rafans, you and my cousin should talk, and I'm wondering if there's something on Twitter that will, you know, kind of hook educators up along similar areas of interest so that they can." you know, kind of collaborate and grow from one another because, you know, there's Twitter chats or stuff like that. But there, is there anything that will say, hey, this person, you need to meet this person and talk and see what comes from that. So I looked and I didn't see anything. So um, so I went ahead and started up the EduMatch handle, tweeted out the idea. Someone from Australia tweeted back immediately and said, I'll give it a go. So got some information from him and um, started tweeting out about him over the course of like 24 hours and I checked back with him at the end of the day and he said that it was great that he connected with so many different people. So I was just like, okay, this, this, this might actually be something. So when I told her front, she was just like, you know, you need a website. <laughs> and I was just awesome. like, okay. So <laughs> the website was made. And then after that, as, as um, people continue to join EduMatch, then um, just bringing themselves, bringing their ideas, their passions, things of that nature, we've just grown from there. So everyone who comes in, just leaves a piece of themselves. And I, that's how it's kind of grown to this, uh, to this network. I, I love that. Cause you know, we talk a lot about innovation starts with something small, an idea. It doesn't have to be, you know, the idea to change the world. And that's, you know, you noticed a problem, you notice you had an idea, you start something and you just kind of get the ball rolling. And I know Dave Burgess talks about that snowball, just an idea and you kind of build momentum. Um, and now you guys have a book too. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? And Absolutely. This is it right here. So this is um, EduMatch Snapshot in Education 2016. So this is just kind of like a moonshot thinking type idea. Um, like uh, so many of us had said in the Voxer group that we wanted to one day be, um, you know, write a book. So the opportunity came up. Um, I was just kind of looking at different different things to um you know, to get the EduMatch trademark going. And an ebook was an example of that. So um, things started to kind of click in my head. And I was just like, okay, guys, you know, you want to try something crazy? Let's do this. And so um, so people signed up to submit a chapter, which was kind of like their snapshot in education of 2016. So this book actually was released in uh, December, um, talking about like kind of a year in review and there were 20 educators from all over the United States. And hopefully next time we'll, we'll go international. We were about to be international, but um, <laughs> a couple people had to drop out for different reasons. But, uh, <laughs> but we're hoping to bring it back. Maybe we'll have some, 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 someone from Canada. Or <laughs> you just need one Canadian to make it international, <laughs> just, Exactly. Just one Canadian will make it international. <laughs> but, um, but definitely just looking forward to uh, 2017, a snapshot for 2017. We're looking for, uh, for authors for that as well. So, um, but I mean, the book was truly a, a fantastic uh, journey. Um, really thankful to everyone who got involved, whether it was submitting content or peer reviewing chapters, it, it just, um, it just worked out in the end. So 
Uh, so what do you, what are some of the takeaways that you would hope people would, would get from, or what are, what are the big takeaways in education from all those snapshots around the country? Oh, there were so many great things that people, uh, people talked about, but I know that one theme of the book that kept on kind of recurring was empowerment. So whether it was from the student side or the teacher side or, you know, the educator side, um, and just, just knowing that we have so much power individually and collectively. So just using that power and just not being afraid to, uh, to try new things. And if they, if they don't work out, they don't work out and we learn and we can, you know, we can always iterate and, and try again with things that we know now. And, uh, so, so that was, that was pretty much a, a metaphor for life. This whole book journey was a, was a process. So yeah. it's actually, um, so I'm, I'm trying to keep on the conversation and, and make sure that I'm paying attention to, um, who's tweeting and David Carruthers, um, actually asked, can I be that Canadian? Oh, absolutely. So now you got now it's international. So you got that one Canadian. So he's an awesome guy uh, doing some really good stuff in London, Ontario. So, and it sounds like London. So it sounds like it's the UK, but it's not like, close <laughs> enough. Um, I hear you. Some great stuff. Um, so like when, when you talk about Edumatch, one of the things that, and please clarify, and if this makes sense, but you're really getting people to connect not necessarily with like around people, but around like ideas of things that they're interested in. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much the way that it works or the way that it started, I should say. And and we keep this piece going. Um, there's a Google form. So people fill out information about themselves. So, um, so now since we have like a database with like um, hundreds of people in it, then we're able to just kind of, um, I'm, I'm able to go in and different hashtags or words that might uh, connect with what someone else said. I'm able to tag those people in that post. And I was actually just playing around with Awesome Table on Friday and um, put like a searchable type Awesome Table database um, on the Edumatch website right now. So people would be able to go in there and click and try to find, you know, different interests. And it's still in beta mode. You know, there's still a couple of bugs I'm cleaning up, but it's still functional. So you'd be able to go onto edumatch.org right now and uh, look at the databases page and click on the Awesome Table and, uh, you know, look by different interests. And, uh, you know, Every, everything's, in, everything's in beta mode, though. Everything. Everything. Yes. <laughs> We're living in beta. <laughs> I heard someone else say that before. But, yeah, it's so true. That the if you I, wait till it's done, it'll never get done. Right. right. Exactly. The, the, re, the reason I ask that, I think, is a really important thing. That, uh, people are listening and, and hear this is that um, a lot of times when people come up to me and they'll like they'll start on social media and they'll start on Twitter. Um, one of the first questions I get most of the time is who should I follow? And, and what I say is like, don't look for necessarily people to follow, look for, um, look for like hashtags, because mm-hmm. if you follow me, uh, because you're interested in innovation, you could have a night of puppy dog tweets, right? So like, <laughs> so, but if you're looking at a hashtag, it actually helps you. I think it helps you find people with, you know, similar interest areas. And I, and I really like that because you're, you're focusing more on the idea instead of, you know, just specific people that you should connect with. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and sometimes people feel like they're so alone and no one thinks like I do, or no one's in my role. And so that hashtag or those ideas help people connect. And I love that that's what edgy match does. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like, um, I mean, the Twitter chats, you know, are all based around those hashtags. So definitely jumping on that momentum and uh, just kind of using it to, to, to connect people kind of directly one on one, like if you're looking for collaborators and stuff like that. And speaking of that, there's like another project that we just kind of launched. Uh, mm, I want to say the 17th, whenever that was two weeks ago, um, which is designing with passion. So this was inspired by the Google Innovator Academy. And um, on the Edge of Match site, then there's a place where people can just kind of um, fill out your ideas. It takes you step by step if you have like a moonshot, like a big goal that, you know, that, that you think is is unreachable, but you really think it's necessary. So there's a place on the Edge of Match website where you can go fill out a Google form and it'll take you through the first six steps of the engineering design process. And then um, Autocrat will shoot you back a template with a um, with an actionable list of how to get through this this idea so definitely um where where is the link to this because there's oh, yeah. a million questions for this now okay absolutely yeah it's on edumatch.org so let me see i'm gonna let me get on there myself and i'll tell you exactly where it is on there so that would be under the uh get connected page designing yeah. with passion form designing with passion form yep that's it right there so and then so if anyone's actually interested, I'll, I'll, I'll put that out into the, um, the YouTube description link, but I'll tweet it out right away too. Cause like, it's going to, people are going to start tweeting. Yeah. To so that, right away. that that's so critical that I love the moonshot idea, but the step-by-step process, because oh. so often I think there's that gap between the big idea and those steps. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. And there's like a folder there too. So once people finish filling it out, if they want to find collaborators um, who have similar ideas to them, I'm going to try to make an awesome table with that too. But right now it's just like a Google form that people can just kind of, uh, you can filter it and kind of click through to see if anyone else has a category similar to yours. So um, this is one question uh, that I really wanted Sarah to talk about. So we kind of talked about it before we got on. Um, I was I can't remember if I saw uh, Sarah write it somewhere or um, I was in her session at Miami Device and she had mentioned that, so you have this person who is like very seemingly very comfortable in front of speaking and everybody and doing all this insane stuff, like just awesome, doing this globally like collaborative group. And then she said that how extremely introverted she was. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right. And so can you, t- like, I know there's a lot of people that are listening that are um, a little nervous to share stuff. They feel themselves quite introverted. Can you kind of just talk about, you know, having that type of personality? But, like, uh, you have 40,000 followers on Twitter and, like, you do this global. And so people that wouldn't associate that with introverted. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, it's it's funny how, like, pieces of our personality kind of shape how we interact on social media. Um, for me, I know that face-to-face, I am very kind of introverted and, and reserved, or at least that's my that's my natural instincts. Um, but there's always been like part of me that that really wanted that connection piece, you know, that and, and social media was kind of a way to do it in a way that was comfortable. Um, so, and I feel like, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we went live, but um, social media has kind of helped me come out of my shell a little bit in terms of um, interacting and being more comfortable um, with speaking with other people. Because, I mean, when you're behind a screen or behind a device, then it, it, it kind of 
reduces a lot of barriers, you know, like um, there's not that, that awkwardness and you're able to go back and kind of, you know, customize what you want to say un- until it's uh, correct. But, uh, but one thing that, that really kind of struck me one day as I was driving down the street, I don't know if y'all have seen the movie Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So for yeah, anyone, this is going. I want to yes. see. This is going. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone has not seen this yet, then you might want to cover your ears for the next like thirty seconds. I'm, gonna, I'm about to spoil like a twenty year old movie. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But um, in Fight Club, then you had two characters. You had the the main character, and you also had um, uh, Tyler. I think was was Brad Pitt's name, something like that. Tyler. But anyway, so Tyler was like this 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 bad you know, this bad guy, you know, bad Sabone, Brad Pitt, beating people up, all doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And the main character would look up to him and be like, oh, I wish I could be like him. You know, I wish I could be more like him. Well, spoiler, they were actually the same person the whole time. So the thing about that, like, anytime that I start kind of feeling a little or or anxious or whatever, then um, I just kind of project this Sarah the teacher and try to do my best imitation of Sarah the teacher. And I mean, truth be told, whatever fictional alter ego that we may have that can get us through the day, that, that's who we are. Um, that is who we are. So I love that, Sarah. Yeah. I'm never going to look at you the same. <laughs> Yes, yeah, is Sarah the teacher right now. So. But I, I think, Sarah, what you brought up about um, giving yourself a voice and sharing different ways, I think of how often technology has afforded kids in the classroom that same opportunity when teachers can allow different forms and different ways for kids to interact. Um, all of a sudden, you see someone who never re- would raise their hand or would never um, engage in that conversation, all of a sudden, the most willing to participate in different platforms. Mm-hmm. So giving people a voice in different ways and allowing your personality and allowing you to see that alter ego is is really, really cool. Okay, so let's, I got to go back to this white club analogy. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Joe. It's like, I can't believe you went there. That's like amazing. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. So, okay, so like we're going to totally wreck this movie if you've never seen it. But like I can't. I think kind of the – it's not even just the alter ego. Like the alter ego changes him as well too right by the end, right? Like he becomes right. a different person because of the alter ego. Exactly. Like, And that's kind of – like would you say that's actually kind of happened to you? Like oh, yeah, your definitely. alter ego has changed you as a whole. I would say so. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's crazy. Like, um, and I mean, you go through like, you know, you go through phases. It's not like a perfect thing. Like, you know, like all of a sudden you are that, that magical, um, I don't even know what the female version of Brad Pitt, Brad Lena Pitt. Sarah the, <laughs> Sarah the teacher. There you go. <laughs> so it's not like it's, it's, it's always like, you know, that, that, that is, that is always the case, you know, the super extroverted persona, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's it's if if we start faking like we are that person, then then the outside world's never going to know. <laughs> like I'm like I'm just sitting here, just like, oh my god, I'm just my mind is blown by that analogy. Like I was like amazing. <laughs> and all these people are like tweeting about Fight Club now. Um, oh. Yeah, so great movie. <laughs> We're gonna go watch Fight Club and check out Edgy Match after this. You yes. Know, this and this is actually like. What, why this was really important uh, for me to uh, get you to talk about. Um, already, uh, Julie Johnson, she wrote, uh, iMook is helping me work on coming out of my shell. Thanks for sharing this. That's Sarah, the teacher, and G Girls for the push. Because I think that 
people need to hear this. And, and Katie, I really appreciate you making the connection, talking about how this is very important for our students too. Like, yeah. you give them different avenues. Now, it doesn't mean like being introverted is wrong. And we're trying to fix an introvert or something like that. It's just the notion that everyone has something to share, everybody. And we we can't just expect everyone to share in the way that works best for us, but like how it helps them share their ideas and, and connect with other people. And I think that's a, like, I just, I really wanted to hit that uh, because I know, like, I remember when you told, when you said that, I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like, cause you're like, you know, you're sharing all these ideas and like very comfortable and talking to like a ton of people. And I was like, okay, this is like messed me up. And now that fight it club analogy just like took it to a whole other level. Well, it's, it's not always the first person that raises their hand or the loudest person who has the best ideas. And if we always assume that if we always wait for the extroverted people to be the ones talking and sharing ideas, we miss out on so many other people's thoughts and other ways of thinking. Someone just tweeted, what happens in iMOOC? Should you stay in iMOOC? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to now be like Fight Club. Oh, man. That's, That's awesome. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, so we're, so we're going to um, gonna talk about part one of the book. And, uh, Perfect segue. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah, is, uh, Sarah is actually, <laughs> I just, I'm dying because I'm just watching how this Twitter conversation has totally changed all of a sudden. <laughs> Um, so we're going to talk about part one of the book, and Sarah has uh, 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 agreed to join us. So we're going to just talk about um, some some of the ideas. So um, the, the first part we're going to talk about is kind of like the definition of innovation that I uh, talk about in the book, and and simply saying it's about doing new and better things. And and so what is that like when we say new and better? What does that what does that mean to you? Like when we talk about innovation, we connect it to that notion of doing new and better things. How do you see that in your roles? And, and Katie and Sarah, please jump in and, and share whatever, you know, how, whatever that kicks into you for that. So first, and for, like for me, this notion of new and better, I think is absolutely critical because too often, and we've talked about this a lot before, it's technology, flashy, all these new things. And I'm an innovative educator because I'm using technology or I'm the first one to try something new. But if it's not better for kids and if you don't know your kids and what they need, the innovation is frivolous. Um, and so I think it's really important to think about innovation in the sense of making things better for kids. And there was a post recently, George, um, that you wrote or someone about um, my classroom management went down. I didn't have to worry about classroom management as much because I became an innovative teacher. And I think the key point here is not that notion of like engaged because of technology. It's innovative in the sense that looking at new and better ways of, in, of really meeting the needs of the kids. Um, so that's, that's a really critical piece that I think we all need to focus on. Right. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on what you're just saying, meeting the needs of the kids. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's definitely where innovation comes in when, when you see that need and you address that need, um, instead of just waiting for someone else to address the need, you address the need, um, the, you, you help the, the students address the needs themselves. So, I mean, like all of that is just critical, um, when it comes to innovation. I think one of the, one of the things that like I try to get people to wrap their heads around, especially is, if it's not ultimately better, it's not innovation, that it's not leading to something better. And I think that's when you get uh, pushback when uh, like principals try to implement something because uh, the people, the staff or the superintendent, you know, lead something 
they don't actually see the better. They only see the change. And so that's like, somebody said this to me and I thought it was really fascinating. They said, teachers are not scared of change. They're scared of spending a lot of time to do something that has no impact. And, and I think that's like, I think that's one of the reasons why um, when we're looking at innovation, just kind of getting to people to look at when, when you, when you're looking at things about how they're doing new and better. And when I say new, uh, one of the things I, I de- define in there is that can be um, invention or iterations. It could be a totally brand new idea or it can be like taking someone's idea. Like, you know, I'm sure like Sarah, when you're talking about Edumatch, you know, that's like an evolution of some other ideas that, you know, made this right. And actually led to that. And so there is an innovation there. Um, but it's not the first time people have connected online, right? But you took right. it and you like tweaked it and you made it your own. And so I think that's that's a really important aspect is that people get innovation and invention mixed up. And and actually, in a, if an invention leads to something better, it is an innovation or it can be an iteration. I go to a conference, hear an amazing idea, take that idea, tweak it for my kids and what I wanted to do is that people seem to always equate it with technology, like how you utilize technology was innovation, even if it was going to digital textbooks. And I would actually say that if you're moving, if your innovation is digital textbooks and your teaching stays the same, uh, it is actually accelerating bad practice. Mm. That technology accelerates everything, including bad practice. And so you can't just simply say, well, we're using, look at the innovation we're doing. We're using digital textbooks now. Like what has it actually led to that's better? So I want to just jump on that too. One of the things you mentioned, George, was the impact. So when we talk about new and better, you have to understand kind of your goals and think about looking at ways of understanding or assessing impact beyond a traditional test score, looking at different ways of really understanding and assessing is this better than what we've current what we've been doing um, and I think that's where we miss the mark a lot of times is that we're not really checking to see how do we know this is better are we getting feedback are we looking at different outcomes other than a traditional traditional measure or something we've always been doing um, so we don't always see the impact or we don't always know if our new idea is making the desired impact we want so okay, and this is not this is not one of the questions, but script. when when we when we and I'd love to get your thoughts on this both from both of you. Is there not like an eye test for like if it's better? Like we like like if I have a teacher trying something new, do I need a number to show me that it's better? Right? Can they not do like what do you think about that? Because I I think that a lot of times when we're, when we're working with teachers, it's like, we always want a number to prove something, but shouldn't there be like an eye test where this is where, you know, the beauty of education is that, you know, these teachers work directly with these children. I can, I think I can kind of tell if something's working with a child. I think that that's, that's kind of where um, also self-assessment and peer assessment really come into play um, and reflection. So, you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of blogging, of, of sharing your stories. And I I think that, that a lot of it, you know, needs to come from, from the teacher him or herself to be able to explain, um, how this has helped because, you know, for some people it it may appear that there's been no change, but to, to others, and they may, you know, say, well, this is a massive change. So being able to reflect and, and, and actually see where that change is, I think that that's where, where that comes in. And just to piggyback on that, Sarah, I think just as you were telling me about earlier about your dissertation and your case study, really looking at 
kids and progress over time, reflection, self-assessment, those are all really powerful ways of documenting change over time and documenting whether or not something's working. And the reality is nothing's always going to work the first time. Of course, we know that there's, you try something, it works, you tweak it, you do something different, but we fail a lot of the times to document that change and document what we're doing over time. And so we miss those little tweaks and all of a sudden we think, that it's just one one thing that that made the difference when really it's it's a lot of um, little tweaks over time that really make the impact. Mm-hmm. So so the next question, um, the you hear a lot in education talking about growth mindset and uh, Carol Dweck's work I think is really crucial and um, I would actually contest that it's very important but it's not far enough and and I think that's kind of why I wrote the book The Innovator's Mindset. So do you guys want to kind of talk about your uh, thoughts on how the innovator's mindset and the growth mindset are actually connected to one another? Yeah, so the growth mindset, I mean, we know it's it's super powerful for kids and for educators to be able to, you know, that notion of not yet, that I'm not there yet, I have to grow and I have to, that I can work over time and do something. I see where the innovator's mindset builds on this is thinking, I can't, I have the power to do this. So yeah, I have to grow my mind, but as an, as someone who has an innovator's mindset, I'm responsible for finding these problems, for making these changes, for doing something differently. And I think that's really powerful. It gives people agency to really think about, um, not only completing the task someone provides for them, but for, for being the one to make those changes in their own life, in their own education, in their learning. Yeah, I would definitely agree with with what you just said, Katie. Um, I had a half-baked thought (laughs) kind of going through my brain. Um, I don't really know how to phrase it, but with a growth mindset, then definitely, you know, that idea of yet, and you kind of have like this yardstick yardstick and you're like inching along. Um, But when I think of innovators' mindset, then I think like there is no yardstick, like you're creating the yardstick um, as you go. So to me, that's kind of how they interplay. I love that. I, I, I think I, I think that's really important is that um, if we only settle with what we know now, then there is no end of like, like, what does that mean for us? Right. And I think that part of it too, the, the notion that the growth mindset and the innovators mindset are actually a, a connection. I think that's a really important aspect for me is that I, I always give this, this example is that I don't want kids just to be good at math which is, you know, what a lot, what the growth mindset is, you know, encouraging, but I want them to be able to do something with the math they have learned. And I think that's a really important connection to it is that what good does it do for me long-term if I actually um, could just figure out, you know, what already exists. And like, you know, I guess that's important obviously in some ways, but, but like, what does that lead? And, and one of the things I talked about recently is the, um, um, the if you saw the Amazon Amazon Go stores, they're the stores you swipe like they're they're I think they're starting in Seattle right now, and you actually swipe your phone um, to to go in to them, and it's like a grocery store. You just grab your groceries, take whatever you want, and then you just walk out, and it's like it's like shoplifting. It looks that way, <laughs> but the reality of it is is that everything you have put into your basket or your cart or whatever 
is actually automatically deducted. And, and the, the, the reason why I bring this up is because there's nobody taking money. And so what I find fascinating about this is that the jobs that can be automated are going eventually going to be. And I think that's a big shift. And that's why we really need, you know, people to be creative, but, you know, take these creative ideas and, and put them to, into practice. And I think that's where the innovation happens. And I think this is, is really important is that we need like a, a culture of, you know, innovators and, and creators. And I think that when you're looking at the innovators mindset, getting teachers to understand this is not just a few people. And when you put innovation as to like how I make robots, right. Cause that's how a lot of people connect this. It's not that it's the, it's the, the, the student in the class that is struggling reading and everything, you know, is not working for that child. Do you just forget the child or do you take what you know and create a better pathway for that child? And I think that's the innovation. That's part of it too. And I think part of the, the the whole reason of the book is to simplify and to get yourself to see that way that there are so many educators who have been innovators for years um but they don't see themselves because they might not be good with technology and it, it like that that's probably one of the things that irked me the most is that it was always connected to technology so one of the things that this notion of whether it's growth mindset or the innovators mindset, that mindset in general, I think it's really important to understand. And you just brought this up, George, about the teacher being innovative and finding new paths for kids um, too often. And I know Carol Dweck's even written about this. We talk about growth mindset or innovators mindset in saying that it's how we talk yet or be innovative. You take risks. You know, we think it's just in the words we say. But the mindset is so often much more reflected in how we act and what we do. So if a teacher says, take risks, be innovative, or a principal says that, yet their policies and how they expect people to behave don't really reflect that, that's not embodying that mindset. And it's not going to create people who can go on and do better things. Just because you say to kids, you're not there yet, keep trying. But if you expect you call on the first kid to raise their hand, how are you really reflecting a culture that embodies that mindset? Yeah, absolutely. So that's just something that I think is important <laughs> to think about. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think that part of it too is that um, I would actually say there is, and this might be a little bit controversial. I think there's like a, a, there's there is a a problem. One of the big problems in education right now is not coming from teachers, it's coming from leadership. And I'm talking like administrators who, you know, are expecting teachers to do something totally different when everything they do is the same. And the the one example uh, that I talk about all the time is uh, you actually will, you'll have like, uh, you'll have administrators leading a staff meeting and they'll, they'll say, hey, let's talk about, you know, innovative things we can do with our students. So here's a gigantic piece of paper. Here's some markers and write your ideas on this gigantic piece of paper. So the practice of what they're doing um, looks very similar to what, what has always been done, but they're asking teachers to do something different. And I think like, is there different ways you can actually look at creating uh, and model within those times um, what you're doing with your staff for they can have that trickle down effect in, in, in schools like, you know, this is such a, a simple example, but it has a profound impact is the notion of like using Google Forms is not the innovation, but using Google Forms to uh, get, you know, staff when they 
you know, like I see a lot of staff still, they check in, they have to write their name down when they walk into a staff meeting or whatever. But even just having like a Google form in the morning and, and saying like, Hey, just check into this, but then asking the question, what do you hope to get out of today? So all of a sudden, as soon as those people walk into the room, uh, you actually, you can see what their hopes and aspirations are for, you know, the next six hours that you're spending with a professional learning day. And how does that trickle down into the classroom? But that's like, but I, like, I still like in 2017, I'm still seeing people like walk in with pencils and have to write their names down to check in. I'm like, Oh my God, like, is this, are we, is this legit? Everyone's got a phone. Everyone has access to this stuff. That's walking in this room. And, and then we're like begging, you know, then administrators are begging teachers to be more innovative in their practice. And, and I see there's a disconnect there. Yeah. What a great segue, George. <laughs> I'm going to segue us into the next sure. question. Um, so, and Sarah, I'm going to ask you this because you work at the district level. And so you get to see a variety of district administrators, a variety of schools and ways they are approaching things. So I'm wondering, um, this notion of, George talks about the notion of um, innovation inside the box. So we have constraints, we have things that just are, that's the policies and procedures, and we have to kind of work within them. So what are you seeing, what are some examples you see in your district or even in your work through EduMatch where people are really innovating inside the box? Mm, That is a great question. Um, Well, I'll, I'll relate it back to my experience um, in the classroom myself, because um, I would say that that my greatest professional growth has come from uh, a time when I was working with leaders that were um, that gave two things. They gave support and they gave uh, space, <laughs> support right. and space. So um, definitely, you know, when they when um, someone comes to the table with strengths, um, being able to nurture those strengths and to, to, to trust members, you know, teachers, staff members, um, and for, for us as educators to be able to trust students to work within their strengths to make the best decisions that they, um, that they possibly can, you know, for, for the best interest of the learning process. So, um, so for me, when I worked with a, with a leader who, who gave me the space and the trust to, kind of try new things, jump in feet first, not head first, because, you know, head first is dangerous, but jump in feet first and try new things out for the sake of the learning, then that was the most that I grew um, as an educator. That was, like, probably my biggest my biggest jump. Um, so seeing amazing leaders like that, um, that's where I see that the innovation within the box can happen. When, uh, when leaders allow for space and, uh, and for growth and encourage um, the connections, um, in their, in their staff. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit okay. on this and okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, cause here's, this was something my deputy superintendent said to me. Um, and it has always stuck with me. And I was talking about like being frustrated, you know, like how come we're not doing this, you know, like why are not all teachers doing some of the stuff that we're doing in our schools, et cetera. And the thing she said to me, um, is not everyone is you. And, and so like, if, if, if I have you on my staff, Sarah, I'm giving you support (laughs) and space, but some people, they need you to be in there a little bit. Right. And I actually, like when I say that, I know this is like, 
like, and I'm struggling, like I'm struggling with this, right? Cause I know what, like, I know that I, as soon as I actually feel crowded, I start mm-hmm. to like wilt, like it's hard for me to do this, but some people need, I don't, I don't want to say to be like, have more micromanaging, but like they need, I guess maybe more support. Like I think support looks different for different people. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. Cause like, cause you, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to give you all the space you, you want. Right. And I think that's because you're proving this to me, but I actually don't like some people want the space so they can close the door and just get away with stuff. And like, oh, okay. like, like, like <laughs> that might not be a popular thing to say, but it's true. There, there are people like that too. Right. I, I totally hear you on that, but just like full transparency, full disclosure, um, my major in in um, undergrad was not education. I came through alternative certification, um, yeah. and I had an intensive summer preparation, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I found myself in the classroom. So my journey was a little bit um, there. There was a lot. There was a steep learning curve at yeah. first, um, and I'm wondering how those first few years may have been different with a different approach. It was when I hit that particular, when I got to meet that particular leader um, who, who used that approach. And I don't know if it was a combination of my experiences to that point that kind of brought me to a point where I was ready for the space and the, and the support. Um, but I don't know. I, I definitely, what, what you said, Katie resonated with me about how support looks different for different yeah. people, you know? So yeah. I, I definitely agree with what, what, what both of you are saying, but Katie, that was like perfect. Cause I'm, cause I'm like listening to Sarah and I'm like, of course you, but not, and I, that's the first thing I thought, not everyone's you. So what does that look like? And I, I think that was Katie just phrased it perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, and I think too, I mean, George, your point that I love to refer to often, it's like, it's about moving people from their point A to their point B. And so I think of an example, um, Brad Gustafson, who was on the show last time, um, shared a great example of a staff day where they had the full day to collaborate. And too often that is standardized. Everyone hears one message. You learn, you know, you hear the typical, we're going to talk about differentiation and we're going to do, we're going to have one presentation for everybody where he flipped it and said, we're going to have a morning meeting. We're going to talk about big ideas. And then we're going to have an hour where you have some choice sessions, but then there's accountability at the end and you can go and work in some different groups. And there was three or four different ideas. So there's some thinking about innovating inside the box. There's a constraint. We have a day, we have goals that we want to achieve. We're all moving in the same direction, but during the day there's outlets and different ways that people can interact. But I think the key for that is accountability because too often I also see teachers collaborate, go and have the day by yourselves, but there are no goals nor accountability. And so a lot of times teachers will tell me we wasted the day because we didn't really know how to work together. We didn't have goals. So, you know, there's, there's a fine line of how to support people in that process. And again, it's different for a variety of people. And that that actually, like one of the, one of the things you just triggered in me is that one of the things I do in uh, workshops, like I really focus on the notion of competitive collaboration. I talk about in the book is how do you get people both support and pressure one another? And one of the things that I do um, on some of these professional learning days that I, that I lead, um, I'll actually ask people to do uh, Twitter videos and do reflections during the break. And I outright say to them, if you don't know how to do it, not my problem, figure it out. 
And the only rule of you figuring this out is you can't ask me because you know I know how to do it. So you have to, you can figure it out by going to Google. You can go talk to somebody in the room. You can even join somebody in their talk. But I think one of the things that I actually do um, to put pressure, in, and I say, oh, by the way, I'm actually going to have the tweets running so you can see who did it. So there's a pressure there, an accountability that if you don't show up on that wall, everyone is going to kind of know you didn't do it. And and like, it's a, like you shouldn't be doing that all the time, but I think that sometimes putting people in situations where there's accountability to try this, because some people are like, I'm not doing it. And then they'll see a bunch of other people and they're like, okay, well now I got to pick it up because I don't want to be the one who's weak here. I don't want to be the one who's behind. And I think sometimes when, like I, I have a lot of people coming up to me and they'll say, you know, I, I'm doing some really great stuff in my school and I'm really happy with it, but I wish my administrator like wouldn't let other people get away with stuff. And like, not, and, and it's like, they're, they feel that, that they're, their, their ability to do well in that culture is limited because it's not flourishing around them. Do you know what I mean? So eventually they're going to leave or, or, or wilt. And, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm just ranting here. So no, but I think that that brings me to this, like our final question, I think to think about this, this culture, because there's, we talk a lot about pockets of innovation and people doing things in isolation or this, school culture where not everyone's on the same page can really be frustrating and it can alienate teachers, either ones who are not moving as fast or ones that are moving too fast. So, um, and this is George and Sarah, both in your, you know, as you've seen so many examples, what are examples um, or what are your recommendations for how to promote this culture? This is what people always ask. How do you promote a culture where people are willing to take risks? People want to try new things and they're supported to do that. Sarah, you go first. Me first, okay. <laughs> um, I believe that um, definitely that, that also comes with... Um, that also comes with the leadership. Like I have never been a principal. I've never been a, a director of a school, but, um, but from what I have seen, from what I've observed, then um, a lot of it is the tone that the leader will set uh, for his or her building, um, the openness and being able to, to take those risks as well. Um, and again, jumping in feet first and not head first, not doing anything too, you know, nothing, nothing, um, nothing, too risky, um, definitely weighing the, the pros and the cons before making any kind of decision and not throwing, you know, caution out with the wind, but, um, but being able to take certain risks, um, that, you know, where, where you can stand to, um, stand again, stand to, um, shoot for the moon, moonshot thinking, and, um, and also bringing in teachers and students as collaborators, I would say would also be, would also be big. And I think it's really important to clarify something that Sarah just said in because she's very humble to say this. Even if she's not in a principal position, her she's leading. Just so you know, people that are in Sarah's like positions, they are leaders. And there there's a difference. And and I try to in, ensure that you have some administrators who are not leaders. They're administrators, right? And I think that. Uh, from Sarah's position, she leads. And I think like her, she just deferred it. And that's what actually tons of amazing leaders do all the time 
is like, oh, no, that's other people. But it's really like, you know, all the stuff that you're creating is obviously leading by example and how you support other people is leading by example, right? So make sure, like, we know you're a leader in the work that you're doing. Um, I, I think that one of the, I, I think one of the things that I'm very adamant about is um, modeling the risks, like trying different things. People know you got your back. And this is why I talk about relationships all the time is because, you um, when people feel they're supported and like they're cared for as human beings, they have, you know, they have your support, they're more willing to take risks. And I always talk about the importance of like investments and people like the, the person coming to me and talking about something very personal for like 10, 10 minutes of their life that has nothing to do with school um, is something I'm going to get back tenfold because they know that I care about them as a human being. But I think one of the other things that I've been trying to do lately is anytime we talk about the notion of risk, that we like we we uh, define that, and some people when they equate risk, they they see danger, and they think of like like almost like physical dangers for in some people's heads, right? Like you know we're gonna like blow up stuff in the school and see what happens, kind of thing, right? Like we're gonna try this crazy science experiment and like oh this is a big risk, and that's that's not like that's not how I see it. Um, I try to define risk as simply moving from a known to a, a, a possible or to an unknown that is possibly better. Right. And I, that's simply what it is, is that something I'm comfortable with that I know to something I don't understand, know in the pursuit of something better. And I think that when you define risk that way, it actually, I don't know if it makes people more comfortable because like... I, I, maybe and maybe I'm totally off. I think people associate risk with danger. Right. When you say take a risk, they're like, well, I can't let my kids be the guinea pigs. Right. right. A lot of teachers are like, I have to follow this because I know it's safe and I want to do what's best for kids. I mean, 99.9% of teachers, 100% are in there to do what's right for kids. And taking a risk feels like you're risking their education and their, and, and that doesn't feel great. One of my um, good friends would say, there's a reason that teachers get a discount on their car insurance. They're not the riskiest profession, um, you know, that's a, as right. a whole. So if we look at, it's really important for leaders to create. And as George pointed out, that's teacher leaders, that's administrators, but for leaders to create that culture where people feel willing to take that risk. And I wrote about it in my blog um, last week that um, Caleb Rashad, and I spent a great time with a great deal of time with him last week. And we talked a lot about this, that the three P's that, you know, creating a space where people have permission, where people have protection because they need to know if, and when they make a mistake that they have support, that they're not going to get in trouble and it's, and things are going to be okay. Um, and that the, the removal of policies so that there's, it's easier for you to try things and it's not, you're not jumping through all these hurdles. So those are really important when leaders can create the conditions to support teachers in that way. They're much more willing and able to take a risk when it's a collaborative environment and they feel like they're supported to do it. Yeah. And I think that when you're, when you're equating that to moving towards a better, like one of the, I can't remember who said this, and I thought it was like really fascinating. And I talk a little bit about in the book is that failure is easy to challenge. Success is, success is actually much harder to challenge. And like 
uh, we've used the Blockbuster example a million times, right? Blockbuster's a success, and then they, you know, they stuck with their known and eventually failed. And so, you know, a lot of schools that have students that are doing very well on, you know, uh, whatever tests they're using and all this, a lot of teachers are like, well, they're already doing well. And it's like, but but there's always room for growth. And I think that um, one of the big things I talk about is that I, I don't need everyone to be at the same point. I just everyone need everyone moving forward. And I think that's um, really crucial. So one of the things that uh, we're going to do right now is I'm going to ask a couple questions. And there's tons of people that are actually tweeting uh, through the iMOOC hashtag um, that are watching the video now. So if you have a question, um, love if you and just let us know because I would love to see Sarah get some questions from you too. Um, she will be participating uh, through the iMOOC uh, Twitter chat on Wednesday, but it's like insanely fast. So hopefully... Uh, I can't believe how many people actually tweeted, and thank you for that. Um, but if you have a question, tweet to the hashtag uh, iMOOC right now. And uh, But I'm going to pull one from the spreadsheet. And this is from uh, Matt Arend. His Twitter handle is at, at Matthew underscore Arend, A-R-E-N-D. Um, absolutely awesome guy, great leader, and just always thoughtful of the work that he's doing as a principal in, in his work. Um and I'll actually ask you to answer this first, Sarah. Um, he said, what's your response um, to this? How can the profession regulate tie a tide of untested approaches? And he, and he said, willy-nilly. And this is not his, by the way, this is a question he was posed. So, okay. this, so he's asking, you know, like, what, how would you respond to this? Willy-nilly um, <laughs> adoption of ideas. And, um, and, and, this uh, the quote that he says that he heard was unbridled innovation is dangerous and foolish. Um, so how do we? I think this actually ties in the last question. How do you actually justify people trying things that aren't proven to work? Hmm. Well, with innovation, um, just like how you were saying about the the risks, then going from uh, going from something known to an unknown that could be better than definitely that that is um that resonated with me uh that was very powerful but i also feel that um that when when we remain stagnant then that's just that's pretty much death <laughs> i mean for lack of a better term because if you don't change and adapt then that's that's when the process of dying starts because the time is going to be moving time is constantly moving and changing so we have to try these new ideas. We have to find these needs um, and seek ways to address them. And that is how we will continue to thrive. And of course, after we test things, you know, we, we try new things, um, definitely sharing what we have learned with the community. And then some, somewhere, some way, someone will see that and perhaps whatever, wherever we fell short, then they can, um, they can compensate for that by trying something different. Um, so that's, that's where the power of definitely sharing comes in as well. I love that, Sarah. And I just want to kind of say it again, that the, the notion of sharing is so important. So often teachers think, I mean, the best teachers have always been innovative. They're always trying new things to meet the needs of their kids. But too often we keep it in our classrooms and we don't share it. You know, we, we hide it and then we go and say, yeah, I'm on the pacing guide. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but we're, we're hiding our innovation. And I think we need to reframe that to say, here's what I noticed my kids need and here's what I'm doing. Help me think of a better way to do it. Or here's some problems I'm, I'm running up against because if we are not continually revising and, and 
in innovating in the classroom, we are going to be dying. And I think to George's point earlier about what's happening with Amazon, what's happening with artificial intelligence. I mean, the world is moving so fast. We cannot keep, you know, following along the textbook while the world is going on at a million miles an hour. If we want to think about what's meeting the needs of kids. So here's a, a couple things. And this is like, uh, from a business standpoint, I was listening to, uh, like I started investing in stocks recently and it's like, where are you going with this? Um, one of the things that, uh, Warren Buffett, who is known as like, basically the, like the best investor in the world, he said, you don't buy stocks, you buy the company. And it was a really fascinating way to look at it because, like, you know, you just go buy stocks of a company, blah, blah, blah. But he said, you buy the company. And so when I actually started looking at, like, what companies would I actually want to own, all the companies that I actually bought stocks in were ones that I know continuously progress over time and always do new and better things. Like, well, like what they were doing 20 years ago is significantly different from what they're doing now. Because I feel more comfortable that that will grow over time. Like if you were to buy a stock, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just I I thought it was really fascinating because it actually changed the way that I looked at buying stocks. Because I'm not comfortable buying a stagnant, you know, company, right? Like Kodak. That's I think I don't even know if Kodak exists anymore, to be honest with you. Um, and so they they changed too late. And uh, I think Seth Godin Godin's quote is that innovation never fails because it comes too early. It only fails when it comes too late. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing. But the other the other thing that I want to comment on this that I th- find really interesting is that there is no best practice that we know is best practice that wasn't an innovation at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we even get to the point where someone knows, oh, this totally works? Like, PLCs, like, you know, have done a lot of good, you know, not necessarily in all cases, because I actually don't think I don't think it's a bad idea. I think there's bad uh, uh, implementation, but that's not something that's been around forever. Somebody said, hey, let's try this. And I, I just find that really fascinating is like we're we're scared to like, we should never be scared to be a generation of educators that try to do something better in pursuit of better opportunities for our kids. And I don't know, maybe that's. No, well, George, and I think to make some tangential connection to the Warren Buffett connect comment that all those programs and policies, PLCs, you can't take an idea and just plop it into a school and it's going to work. You have to, it has to be part of a culture. You have to make things fit for the context. And I think that's part of the innovation is taking the idea and really making it work and not just assuming that like this program worked in some far off land or far off school and it's going to work for us. It never does. Um, no matter what the research says, you have to take something and think about the needs of the users in the context. Okay, I, I have a question uh, from Julie Johnson, and it's for for Sarah. Um, what this is specifically for Sarah in your role right now? What is the best way you support teachers innovating their teaching? Hmm, that would um, let me see the best way that I would. S- Support teachers innovating their teaching. Is that what you said? Yeah. Teaching and learning. Definitely. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I, I always want to say share, 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 because I feel like we learn so much from one another and just like creating spaces where people can can speak to one another and, um, you know, 
just kind of refine their ideas because the more the more you share an idea, the more you refine it. It's kind of like a diamond and just polishing it, you know, the more feedback that you can get on a particular idea. So um, like one thing that, that we do uh, is Ed, Ed can voice um, on Voxer. So um, in there, then there is, there's actually a chat that is just wrapping up right now, the restorative justice chat um, that started off in Ed can voice on Voxer. And um, just with people sharing so many ideas in that group, just it's it's just been like a community of of practice that has just kind of emerged from there so um definitely i would say encouraging teachers to share um in whatever way possible so through edcamps through blogging through um various social media platforms and katie i'll give you the last word on this question and then we're gonna wrap it up so the best way to support teachers i agree um share Bringing people together, I, you know, always go back to helping them understand their goals. What is it that their kids need helps teachers really think about new and better practices um, and really documenting. I love action research or any way that teachers can think of a problem that they're trying to solve. And then they have that agency to think about what they need to do. It's always way more effective than coming in and telling teachers what they need to implement, but also being there to support and push because um, it's always important to look outside your own, your own, you know, own thinking and get better resources, but ultimately leaving the problem and the, um, solutions to the teacher. And, uh, Julie Johnson actually just said a thank you to you, Sarah, for sharing that idea. So, um, one of, one of the fascinating, this is going to sound super weird, but one of the fascinating things about, um, watching this, uh, Twitter chat while having this conversation is totally what Sarah talked about, the notion of share, share, share. And what's fascinating is sometimes um, someone will tweet something that I said, I'm like, oh, that was actually a really good point. <laughs> okay. and, it's kind of a, and I will, it would have totally, so like, I'm like favoriting. I'm like, Ooh, I'm so using that later. And I, like, But it's it always like, it sparks from being in the space to have the conversation in the first place, but other people like sharing ideas, connecting, talking about what they're doing. And I think it just like, I just loved what you said, like share, share, share. And, and I actually think that sometimes being a broken record and saying the same things over and over again is actually extremely important because it stresses how important they are to what they're doing. So um, Sarah, I really want to thank you because uh, I think the stuff that you're doing is absolutely amazing. And uh, one of the things that really connected me with Sarah um, oh, is how hard she works. Like she is one of the hardest working people. And I actually wrote, um, this is something I wrote in a blog today. It's, it's going to be posted in a couple of days um, is that hard work plus consistency times time equals not success, but results. And I, like su success is totally a personal thing, but when I say results, it, it means growth. And so I really appreciate that because um, like you spending your time with us tonight, you know, even though you're doing your, you're in the middle of your dissertation, you're doing all these other things outside of your job. Uh, I really want to thank you because I think a lot of people uh, need to hear from, from your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here tonight and to chat with the both of you as well as uh, everyone who's watching and tweeting. I'm watching the tweets go by as well. So this is awesome. Thank you all so much. And Katie, any last words? I just want to say again, thank you to Sarah. You can such a genuine person and um, 
your notion of sharing has created a community and a movement that allows people to do just that. And we're excited to really um, use that. And um, thank you for being part of this community. And thank you to the rest of the iMoot community. Look forward to seeing you at the Twitter chat on Wednesday night and look forward to reading your blogs. Awesome. And keep blogging, keep sharing your ideas, uh, continue to go do amazing things. The, the community is actually just growing. Uh, so thanks for taking your time on a Sunday night to spend with us. I hope you're all better for this. I know I'm better for connecting with these two awesome people and all of you. So I look forward to uh, seeing you on Wednesday night. And thanks for your time. Good night. Thank you. Just me, myself.